Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 50 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. That is insane. 50 episodes. Episode L. Yeah, now we're really getting into the complicated Roman numerals. It really has been since episode 40, since it was XL, and now we have L. It really should be a story starting with the letter L, but it could not be a more perfect story to to celebrate 50 episodes, because it feels like 50 episodes have been building to this episode. Just a bit of housekeeping beforehand. I cannot say, I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to be back in the studio this week. It's only been a week off. I apologize to any of our loyal listeners. There was no podcast last week and I didn't make any announcement about it. It didn't I didn't intend it to happen that way. I um I have been performing in a Christmas carol in the Gate Theatre here in Dublin and we are now up on our feet. But for the last two weeks uh, we had our tech and our previews and we had our official opening night on Thursday night. But in the midst of uh, the tech sessions were some 13-hour days and in during the previews we were in rehearsals during the days as well. It was very much all-encompassing. It was, uh, it was a fantastic experience, though, one of the best I've ever had and I've been loving every minute of it. But now the show is up on its feet. Uh, Christmas Carol is running until the 18th of January in the gate and it's a dream come true being in that theatre, being surrounded by such a wonderful cast. Uh, I celebrated my birthday last week. I turned 27 and I got to celebrate that surrounded by some of the nicest, kindest and most talented group of actors that I ever have. And I don't even think any of them listen to this podcast, so you can't accuse me of just saying that um, because they really, really have been lovely and it was great spending my birthday there. And yeah, some of the people in this cast have been people I've been watching on stage and screen for years and years and years. And it's great to know them on a personal level now. And the run is but young. And we're already sold out all the way up to Christmas, which is insane for me coming from 
doing solo shows and plugging this podcast and kind of being the producer as well as the writer and performer of this podcast, it is incredible. It is an incredible relief to be in a theatre with such a big name and to be in a show that just sells itself. It's really nice to rather than selling my own shows to just let Dickens do the work and sell himself. And it's, yeah, it's a dream come true to me in this show. And I do hope to do a tie-in episode with A Christmas Carol, similar like we did a Halloween special where I read different extracts. Um, I would like to read a Charles Dickens story as a Christmas special in a couple of weeks' time to read this story that actually was the short story that inspired A Christmas Carol in the first place. Because Carol, A Christmas Carol, almost more than any other Charles Dickens story, has a huge fantasy and folklore element to it. It's so rooted in its own mythology with this coming of these ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. And I'm having such a ball there and I really want to share that with you. And I feel like if there is a way to tie, marry all the worlds together, happy days still. But that is just a little bit of an explanation as to where I was, if anyone was wondering why there wasn't an episode last week. It is still in the the wake of the Dublin Podcast Festival, which was a couple of weeks ago again, which, again, I was so happy with how it all went, and it was so much to be learned from it going forward, and I can't wait to do another one. And there's there's a lot of plans. There's a lot of plans for Fireside in 2020 as we enter our second year, our third calendar year, technically, as it did start at the end of 2018. But as it's episode 50 in two weeks' time, we'll be celebrating our one-year anniversary, which I'm so, so unbelievably proud of. Um, it is episode 50, and I am also I'm riding on a brand-new toy, I'm, which I'm very, very excited about that I think is going to revolutionize how I write and research this podcast. I don't know if I was saying this on the air, but a couple of weeks ago, no, a couple of months, for the past several months, I've had the same beloved MacBook Air for the last four or five years it is i've taken it all around the world it has served me incredibly well as a very sturdy piece of machinery that was certainly put through the wars but um everything it different things went wrong with it over the years that i got fixed like and they were totally just the absolute abuse i was putting the machine under uh, rather than any software or hardware problems on apple's part but in the last few months the backspace key hasn't been working and considering I write each episode of this podcast and writing is the main thing that I do and I use my laptop for it it has been very complicated to not use a backspace Um, I have found you'd be amazed how quickly you get used to just highlighting text and pressing the space bar but now I have transitioned to a beautiful gorgeous MacBook Pro um, with keyboard and the Apple Pencil and just already being able to being able to have all of my different research up like um up, I have the Kindle app so I can just swipe straight in between researching um the ton and my different versions of the ton and straight back into writing the podcast and it is just streamlined it so much. Again, I am not I'm not getting paid by Apple in any way to say this. I'm just very, very excited about my new toy and what I'll be able to do with the podcast now. It will affect how I uh, I change. I edit. I'll be able to do more videos for the podcast now, uh, which I really enjoy doing and is always something I wanted to do more of. 
and it will change even just how I use Canva now to do the graphic design, the podcast. The podcast can just become even more cultivated to exactly how I want to uh, put it out there. Um, which is which is very exciting. Uh, that none of that's probably interesting to you, but that's what's really that's what's really making me happy right now, as well as just being back in the Headstuff Podcast Network studios. But this has been a very very long introduction, and especially if you're a first time listener, you're very welcome along. I will get down to the story now, I promise. Because even if you're a first time listener, or if you've never heard of any character in Irish mythology. But one, this is that name. This is the name that short that basically every Irish person has at least heard of if they don't know the story of him or some part of the story of him intimately. I've been calling him the uh, he's the Hercules of Irish mythology, but he's also kind of the Jesus. He's the Hercules Jesus, if you will, or the Jesus Hercules. And this is just one of many stories that is going to feature him over the next couple of months. It was it was even better than I was expecting, just even adapting this first part of the story of this of this hero. I just it becomes clearer and clearer the more you go into him why he's the one that we all know about and why he is the central figure of Irish mythology. And we're gonna hear about his birth and his boyhood deeds now, and I'm gonna get right down to it. This is episode 50. This is Becoming Coo Cullen on Fireside. Becoming Coo Cullen. A flock of birds were flying across Era. They swooped and swarmed across the land, making their way from the island's southern tip to its northern coasts. Around the time they were flying over Ulster, a collective hunger came over the birds, and they landed in Eamon Macha, the home of Ulster King Conchobar MacNessa. It was nearing harvest time, and the crops in the fields were ripe and plentiful, and this flock of fiendish fowl ate every morsel in the province. The people of Ulster were outraged and terrified. It was as if a plague had swept across the land. Were the gods angry at Ulster? Had they sent this curse to the northern people? Many gathered at Eamon Maka to seek answers from King Conchobar. The king was known for his good wisdom and judgment, but this predicament had him perplexed. He never acted without considering all of the options, but after a great deal of thought and counsel, Conchobar's only plan was to hunt these birds down. Ulster will not be desecrated by any foe or foul, he proclaimed. We will hunt the beasts and bring back their fattened carcasses and we shall feast on their flesh. With his people satisfied, Conchobar gathered his red branch knights and set off on his bird hunt. They rode across Era in their mighty chariots, with Conchobar leading the charge. The king was famously one of the greatest charioteers in Ulster, but on this occasion it was Conchobar's sister, Detina, who held the reins. All the while the king searched the skies for his feathered enemies. The Ulster men rode from Ulster to Meath until they reached Brew on the Boyne River. There a great snowstorm descended upon the warriors, and they were forced to unyoke their horses and seek shelter for the night. 
Conkobar spotted a newly built house on a hill. A young man answered the door. Good evening, young man. We have rode from Ulster and seek refuge for the night to escape this bitter snowstorm. You and your men are most welcome. There is not ample room and we don't have much food, but what we have, we have to share. Conkobar, his sister Jechina, and his band of Red Branch Knights entered the home, and it wasn't long before they had all had their fill of food and drink. The king had at no point announced his position, and this young man was not from his province, so he could be forgiven for not recognising Conkobar. The Ulster chieftain was touched by this, that he had not even needed to pull rank, and this poor young man had taken him and his horde of warriors in for the night. How can you afford to be so kind, when it seems you can hardly afford to live yourself? the king asked. My wife is pregnant. We want our child to be born into a kinder and more tolerant world than we were. I could not in good conscience see people freeze in a snowstorm with my child due any hour. As it happened, it was that very hour that the young man's wife went into labour, and it was Conkobar's own sister, Jetina, who went in and delivered the child. A boy. Dechina immediately fell in love with the baby, and as the exhausted mother slept, Conkobar's sister nursed the child. At the same hour the baby had been born, one of Conkobar's mares had given birth outside to two folds. The folds were to be given to the baby. Conkobar and the Red Branch Knights raised a toast to the birth of this child, and then they all passed out. But the following morning, when Conkobar woke up, he was not in any house, nor were any of his men. He was outside on the hill. The king stood up and looked around for sight of the house they had stayed in, but there was nothing eastward of the Boyne River. No house, no birds. All there was was Conkobar, his warriors, their horses, and nestled in Dechina's arms, the baby boy. The Ulster men returned to Eamon Macha, and Dechina vowed to raise the child as her own. But not long after they had returned home, a fever gripped the baby, and he did not live through the winter. Dechina mourned the loss of her adopted offspring, whom she had brought into the world and mere days later had buried under it. Grief takes many forms, and for Dechina a numbing solace was found at the bottom of a goblet of wine. But as the king's sister was downing one particular receptacle, she felt as if something alive was in the cup. But before she could do anything about it, the entity had slipped down her throat. Dechina tried to make herself sick to no avail. She eventually accepted that she may have just imagined the ordeal. But that night, the drunken, grief-stricken woman dreamt of a man entering her room. A tall, broad, vision of a man. He told her, You will bear my child. It is I who sent the birds to ravage Eamon Maka. I who built the house on the hill. That child whom you brought into the world is my own. Lost though he was, so you two now have been impregnated with him again. This time he will live, and will be the greatest warrior the world has ever known. Who are you? asked Jechina. I am one of the Tua de Danon. They call me 
Ildarnak, the master of all arts. I was once a king. My name is Lu Lavada, and my son will be named Satanta. Dechina awoke the next morning in a haze of confusion. She had no idea what was dream and what was reality. It was in the midst of this that Kunkabar Macnessa came to his sister. Sister, I know you mourn for the lost child, but you will have others. It is time you married, and I have the perfect match. My predecessor, Fergus MacRoke, has a younger brother, and a fine man he is. The sister of a king shall marry the brother of a king, and unite and strengthen the families of Ulster. With little choice in the matter regardless, Tetina was married to Suadam MacRoke, who, as chance would have had it, was indeed a fine man. And it was very soon after their marriage that Detina gave birth to a son. A little too soon. The months didn't add up. The child could not be Suadam's. But of course, only Detina knew that. And that information she would keep to herself. She didn't even know if she believed the truth of it herself. That she had delivered a babe that had died and had been reimpregnated inside her by one of the gods of all gods. But what the new mother did do was give the child that name. The name Satanta. As the nephew of two Ulster kings, Fergus MacRoke and his successor, Conkabar MacNessa, Satanta was given the greatest education and upbringing ever offered a child before or since. He emitted constant omens of greatness. He was raised to be a chariot fighter, a prince and a sage, to settle all trials and battles, and he was reared at Imre Fort in Morhivna Plain. It was of course a guarantee that Satanta would eventually grow to join the Red Branch Knights, King Conkobar's fierce band of warriors. But to join their lofty ranks, first you had to join the boys' troop at Amanmaka. Boys' troop though it was, it was still only teenage boys who were eligible. But Satanta was not an ordinary boy. From the age of five, he longed to join his uncle at Amanmaka, but his mother refused. But by the time the boy was ten, she felt she could refuse him no longer. Dechina thought Satanta was still far too young, but she also knew her son was divine, and aged in strength and wisdom far more rapidly than any mortal. So armed with nothing but a hurly stick and a slitter, the young Satanta set out for Amon Maka. When he reached the fort of his uncle, he saw a large gang of boys outside playing a game of hurling. They were surely the boys' troop. The impetuous Satanta ran over to them, joined in their game of hurling, and quickly won the game as if he was playing against himself. The other boys were furious. This runt, who was younger and smaller than all of them, had invited himself into their game and disrespected them all. So the entire boys' troop swarmed around Satanta and began to beat up the youth. But as it happened, King Conkabar Macnassa was passing by the troop when this fight broke out. Stop, he cried. The boys dispersed. What is the meaning of this? You boys are in training to be Red Branch Knights. Only men who have honour may serve me. Why do you dishonour yourselves and Ulster by ganging up on this young boy? The tallest of the boys' troop was eventually pushed forward and spoke. My king... 
He dishonoured us first. He joined our game uninvited and played by his own rules. What is your name? The king asked the boy who had just picked himself up off the ground. I'm your nephew, Satanta. I've come to join the Red Branch Knights. The king laughed. Is that so? Well, that's not a very good way of going about it. Is it not? But I have proven myself the best athlete of any boy here. To be a soldier, Satanta, a true warrior, is to have the respect and support of your fellow knights. That is why we play hurling. To learn of teamwork. That is how we survive. That is how we win. If you wish to join my boys' troop, you must ask these boys for their protection. Satanta was baffled, but he knew his place. He asked the boys who had moments earlier kicked him to the ground for their protection, and they all gladly gave it. That's better, Kunkabar said. Now to celebrate you joining the boys' troop, start a new game, and this time play for a team. The king was satisfied and turned away to return to his keep. But then he heard a cacophony of shouts from behind him, more than the shouts of a game of hurling. The king turned back towards the boys, only to see Satanta knocking seven shades of stuffing out of each and every one of them. Satanta, he cried, what are you doing? I have asked for their protection. Now they must ask for mine. And Conkabar Macnessa watched as his young nephew wrestled and pinned every one of the boys' troop until they each asked for Satanta's protection. It was then, in no doubt to anyone, that Satanta would never play by anyone else's rules. But of course, Satanta has been immortalized forever by a different name than the one given to him at birth. And this is how he earned that name. The greatest smith in Ulster was named Coolan. He lived in a small but strong household some distance away from Eamon Maka. About a year after Satanta had joined the boys' troop, Coolan invited King Kunkabar to a feast at his household. But Coolan begged the king not to bring too many guests with him. For although he wanted to honour the king himself, the smith was not that wealthy and could only feed and host a select few. Kunkabar happily accepted these terms and set out for Coolan's home with his closest and most loyal friends and warriors. Kunkabar was keen to bring his nephew Satanta, almost as an after-dinner entertainment. Still a small and skinny boy, Satanta was undoubtedly the greatest athlete in Ulster, and the king liked to show him off. But when the king went to fetch Satanta, the boy was, unsurprisingly, playing a game of hurling. Satanta, we have been invited to a feast at the home of Coolan the smith. Take that hurley and let's go. I'm not finished this game yet, uncle. I'll follow you on. Kunkabar was not at all used to being spoken to like this. But again, Satanta was different. You've never been to Coolan's household. How will you know where to go? Your chariots are the most hefty and mighty in era. These tracks will leave such an imprint I can follow them all the way there. The king couldn't argue that logic and set out for the Feast of Coolan. When Kunkabar arrived, a great spread had already been laid out and it wasn't long before the king and all his guests were drunk. 
Now, Coolan's income came entirely from the weapons he crafted. He could not afford guards or heavily fortified walls, but what he did have was a dog. One dog. A dog the size of a stallion. Trained from the day he was born by Coolan to maul anyone that was not his master. An army could attack Coolan's keep, and an army would be torn to shreds by the hound of Coolan. Coolan went to Conkabar and said, Are all your guests here? I wish to close the gates and release my hound to protect us all while we feast. The king was already so drunk he had forgotten all about the one guest who was not. We're all here, said Conkabar. Release that old hound. And that's just what Coolan did. And the Ulster men ate and drank and sang their way into the night. Though small in number, they still made an almighty sound, deafening to all those who were not in the midst of revelry. And yet, when nightfall had covered the last inch of daylight, a sound pierced through the household that silenced all others. The sound of a child's scream and of a dog's howl. Satanta! cried out Conkobar Macnassa. Oh, gods, what a drunken fool I've been. I've forgotten my nephew, and now he is surely mauled to death by that foul beast. Conkobar and Coolan and all assembled at the household rushed outside to inspect the now suspiciously silent scene. And outside the gates they found a young boy covered in blood. But not his own blood. And on the ground, the dead corpse of the monstrous hound. Satanta, are you all right? said Conkabar, in the first display of genuine concern he had shown his nephew. I'm fine, uncle. Once again, Harling has saved my life. How so, nephew? If you hadn't been playing that game of Harling, you would have been safely in Cullen's house. It is my Hurley that defended me when the beast attacked, and my Schlitter that struck into his mouth and shattered through the cursed skull. You are a different kind of warrior, Satanta. I don't know what you are, but thousands will tremble before you. This strange statement made the young boy smile. But then came the sound of crying. No one had noticed Coolan, who was on the ground cradling the body of his beloved dog. You have killed my only protection, my loyal hound whom I raised from a pup and who has never let me down. Who will protect my crops, my stock, myself? At this point, Satanta stepped forward. I will. You will what? said Coolan. I will serve in the place of your dog. I will protect you and your household until such a day as you can find and train a replacement. However long that may take. Coolan didn't know if the boy was serious. He looked at Kunkabar. The king knew his nephew, and he was proud of his honour. Coolan stood up. Very well. You shall be the new hound of Coolan. Let you henceforth be known as Coo Cullen. To be continued. <laughs> And there we have it, the birth of Cú the birth of Satanta and the becoming of Cú 
there were so many different names I wanted to go with this for this. Was it Satanta becomes Kukulin, the birth of Satanta, uh, the naming of Kukulin, but becoming Kukulin, I just felt encapsulated all. Because there's about three stories in here in one from different various sources. But I hope you all enjoyed it. It's I just got such a buzz. I got such crack out of just saying the name Kukulin in a story at last. We've had some select mentions of him, I suppose most significantly because we have Lou Lavada. We have Lou, my favourite character from the mythological cycle, now cropped up here again. This is where Kukulin was always said to be a descendant of Lou and here you have the very, very... It's probably the most complex birth of any character in any kind of literature. And you'll really get now why I mean that he is the Jesus Hercules of Irish mythology. Because you have... First you have Kunkabar in the pursuit of these of these birds and resting for the night in this strange newly built house. His sister Jetina giving or birthing this child by another woman them waking up and the house is gone, no sign of it, but the baby is still there and the baby is raised as Jetchen's own, but then the baby dies and then she is impregnated in this incredible way from the Thomas Kinsella version of this idea of this alive presence in this goblet of wine that slithers down her throat and that that night she is visited by Lou who tells her that he has orchestrated this entire thing. And it's amazing that like we have a god getting a child into the custody of the family he's meant to, Jetina, only for the child to die and the god to basically get a, a do-over, get a second chance to impregnate Jetina with the same child. And then you have her being married to Suadam, who is Satanta's mortal father. So there were some, you have his original father, who they stay in the house, you have Lou as a father, you have Suadam as a father. It is such a complicated um, such a complicated lineage as so suits such a complex character as Satanta and Kukulin is. Um, and so he is raised immediately to be this incredible, incredible warrior, the nephew of two kings. And you have the boyhood deeds. You really see, like, hurling, our Irish sport of hurling, which is one of the oldest sports in the world and it's still the fastest field sport in the world. I confess, um, I never, I only played it a little bit when I was young and I was never too into GAA growing up. Wicklow doesn't have a great uh, ga or hurling team. I believe one is better than the other but it was never so all-encompassing as it is in certain counties like Dublin or Mayo or Kerry where, where Gaelic football or hurling is enormous as it is in, a, in more counties than it's not but there was never a huge scene for me personally in in Wicklow of the Wicklow Gaelic or hurling teams but since I got into Irish mythology in such a massive, massive way in the last couple of years. I've really lamented that and have taken such a keener interest in hurling. I always preferred Gaelic football when I was younger because whenever playing football in school, I always liked being the goalkeeper because I loved that you could pick up the ball. And so to me, Gaelic football was always like uh, every player was the goalkeeper because everyone could pick up the ball. But now it is hurling that I have the the massive interest with. And it is just, you see in these, this story here how integral hurling is 
to Cucullin particularly. It is right from the off. It is how he joins the Red Branch Knights or the boyhood troop of the Red Branch Knights, which, yes, right out now, it's a, there's just a vague kind of Nazi youth kind of vibe from it of getting them in young. <laughs> just because of the boys troop it almost rhymes with Nazi youth but obviously in a much nicer way and he becomes he becomes Cook Cullen through with, with through hurling as well that that description of him smashing the slither through the dog's skull that is not from any version that I read while researching this episode but I don't think I made that up I feel I have I feel that was always the image in my head, whether I got that from school or from some version I heard over the years. But I feel that that is an image from it that really stayed with me of literally smashing it through the dog's skull. <laughs> this monstrous dog that was the size of a horse and could fend off many armies, but still a dog. You know, it's so very sad that whenever a dog dies more than any other animal in the world, I am a big dog person anyway. But this, this idea of Cú Cullen, of Satanta becoming Cú Cullen to serve in the place, even though this dog viciously attacked him and he was a small boy, Satanta still appreciates the loss that Cullen has suffered at his hand. And it's it's incredible that from this act of just standing in for this servant of his uncle, he is immortalized. He never reverts back to being Satanta, even though that was the name given to him by Lou. He was divinely meant to be Satanta. But again, no part of Cucullin's story is usual. He plays he plays by no one else's rules, not even his own. But it's incredible. It's an incredible mix of prophecy and making your own fate. And I just think it's 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 the best becoming story. I think after the historical cycle as well. There's the familiarity in a lot of these stories is obviously what makes them comforting. And what I mean by that is that we have a story about a king and he was raised and he was always going to be great. And these hyperbolic phrases are used so much, like he's going to be the greatest warrior in the world. He had the best upbringing, you know, or he seized his throne and there's a familiarity and a through line to all the many stories of different kings and heroes we've had over the last year now. But of course, Cook Collins is different. Cook Collins isn't a king. Um, he's not even really a leader. He is a, just a fierce, fierce warrior and just an incredibly already complex character from so many different sources without any real home and yet so associated with home. I probably said this on the podcast before, but one of the most interesting things about Cucullin as a symbol is he is used he is used by both sides of the coin of um of Irish politics basically. He is used by Ulster unionists as this symbol of Ulster of Ulster fighting against the rest of Ireland. And yet, nationalists and Republicans use Cucullin as well as just this symbol of this greatest of Irish fighters fighting for Irish freedom from anyone and just this idea of fighting for Ireland um, and regardless of what province that is. It's incredibly fascinating that he is used by, he is used by total opposing ideologies. 
that's why like in the GPO in in on in Dublin on O'Connell Street where the 1916 rising was fought from there is now the iconic statue of Cúchulainn there forever he is that embedded with the idea of the struggle for Irish freedom um as well as being a symbol of unionism against against the rest of Ireland um, or the Irish, the Irish in Ireland rather than the British in Ireland, and this we're just at the cusp of that. We're just at the very beginning of that, and so it's a very, very exciting time. All of this is still all of the preamble to the tone to the greatest story of Irish mythology, which we haven't even got to yet, and we're still a couple of episodes away from. But none of this is filler. This is all groundwork, and this is all the Ulster cycle. This is the rest of the Ulster cycle, and. I hope you all enjoyed that and can hear the excitement in my voice from having got to do that. Uh, there won't be another gap, I promise again, in Fireside. Um, we're going to have our weekly podcast back right up until Christmas and beyond now that I have some sense of my routine back now that the show is up. But thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you're a first-time listener, I hope you enjoyed it. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much. Um, it is... Just a joy, a joy to be back here in the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios. And it was only two weeks since I was here, but that still felt like an eternity considering I've been so used to coming in each and every week or even when I've been away recording each and every week. So I will leave it there. And that is all for episode 50 of Fireside the Irish Stone Podcast. Thank you so much to Alan Paddy and all here at Headstuff, to Jamie, my producer, for continuing to edit this, to all of you, the listeners. And I will see you all next time. You will hear me round the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.